check. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am your host, Dr. Richard Waithe, and I have an awesome guest, and I'm super excited to talk to you guys here with uh, Dr. Erica Bierbauer. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? I'm doing extravagant, especially because I know we're going to be diving into something I'm super interested in, um, just technology, uh, blockchain, pharmacy, all that good stuff. But before we go into all that, Let's start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. Um, so I went to pharmacy school at Oregon State University and um, also um, Oregon Health Science University. Um, I graduated in 2005 and I worked um, as an IV pharmacist uh, in a long-term care facility before I moved to Denver, Colorado, and I worked for Pfizer uh, as a medical information specialist. And then I started working for um, actually for Thomson Reuters, updating content for Micromedics, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, it's a great drug information database. Um, so actually, I've been doing that, and I still do that, um, for about nine years. Um, and our company has gone through several transitions and are, is now owned by IBM Watson Health. So um, that, was a, that was a really cool transition that happened recently. Um, but my main job is still updating content for Micromedics and doing literature searches. Um, I also like to snowboard and I, I love to garden and cook and see live music. Oh, man, I was in. So you're so I was in Keystone a couple of years ago, maybe like over five years ago, I'd say now. But I love snowboarding, too, which is crazy because I'm from oh, Miami, awesome. but, um, but Utah, like Utah for me has been the best experience so far. So I went to Snowbird and, um, and canyons at park city. Oh my God. It was, I don't know if you've been there, but I not. haven't, but it's on my list. Snowboard. I mostly go um, to the, the resorts here in Colorado cause there's just so many, right? Yeah, I can I imagine. Can't get enough. Yeah. You probably don't need to really go anywhere, but I guess I, I get to, because obviously I live in Miami. So um, but Snowbird was really difficult mountain. I, didn't, I don't recommend that to anyone because it was just so hard. But Park City was really, really freaking nice. So if it, I don't know if you ever decide to leave, you know, to take a trip to do it. I would recommend highly Park City. But um, but cool. I'd like to know that we kind of have that in common. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned your current role kind of now um, is kind of in drug information, right? What is your you know, what's the day to day like? you know, being in drug information and kind of updating these resources? Like, what is that, if, what is that role like? Right. Um, so we, at times, are doing surveillance and looking at what all the new literature com coming out is. We evaluate that literature. Uh, we have had extensive statistical training um, on top of the training we get in pharmacy school, a lot of extra um, training by the statisticians that also work on our staff. So we're evaluating if the study was done properly, if the outcomes measured are appropriate, and if it belongs in our content, uh, basically. 
Um, and then we do a synthesis write-up of the study, um, and that goes into the content for hospitals to use for drug information. Um, I also update the IB compatibility database, which involves the same type of um, research and determining if drugs are com compatible via Y-site, syringe, and admixture. Um, I also update some other patient safety databases, and I work in um, cognitive. So I help with the Watson project, which is the Ask, Ask Watson for Micromedics, where clinicians can just talk to the database and um, get their questions answered that way. I do a lot of my work from home, which is great. Um, and I, I don't have a lot of interaction with other people or with patients. Uh, so it's it's very sort of closed in, um, closed in kind of job, but I really enjoy it. That's so you're like a drug info ninja, really, is what you just told me. <laughs> I work with some very, very smart people. Yes. Yeah. So I'm honored to be a part of this team. Yeah. Well, that's awesome sure. to hear. So let's go. I want to go even deeper. Like how, how long does it take? So let's say like some new study came out, right? And you're like, okay, crap, I got to update. I got to review this to make sure it's updated. Like from, from day one that you get that, what's that process like, you know, in terms of a, a length or... It really depends. Um, it really depends on what we're doing. So we also do off-label work. So we'll get like three or four studies and have to assign a rating for an off-label use because Micromedics is also a compendia um, for insurance companies and, and uh, Medicaid to determine if they want to cover something off-label. So if I'm doing a packet, it could take two to three days um, to evaluate. But if it's just one study, I can usually get that done in about half a day. So I'll read it, I'll evaluate it. Sometimes we have to fill out a worksheet if it's um, a meta-analysis. Uh, but other than that, it takes it just takes about four hours, I would say, um, if it's a straightforward study, two to four hours. Cool. Okay. And how did you get into like this career? Like how does one kind of go from just, you know, all right, I'm going to be a, a regular pharmacist where I'm going to provide patient care to just kind of being like a drug ninja, a drug information ninja, basically. Honestly, I feel like I got lucky um, because of the timing of when I graduated. And uh, when I was working at Pfizer, I was, I was doing a lot of written communication. And so if you're a good writer, which a lot of, you know, some pharmacists are, some aren't. Um, and some, it's, this job is not for everyone. Like you have to be able to work on your own and be detail oriented and self-motivated. Um, so it all just fit in at the right time. Because now, you know, now to get a job in this field where I work, um, you would need to, uh, at least a year, if not two to three years of residency or fellowship uh, to get into this position, which I didn't do because I, at that time I was different. Yeah. Uh, right. So you mentioned kind of like the qualities that was important, which I think, you know, it's good to really focus on, especially if people are trying to become self-aware as to what is it that they want to get into, you know, whether it be they're a pharmacist practicing now and they're looking for a career change or they're in pharmacy school kind of looking for what their next move is. What are some kind of qualities or, you know, um, tendencies I think that are important for someone in a role like yours? Right. So for drug information, like I said, you have to be very detail oriented, uh, really enjoy reading clinical literature um, and ha be able to spend a lot of time on your own with little interaction with anyone else. Um, be able to process large amounts of information and uh, communicate them both written and verbally. Um so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it really takes a special person to be able to kind of feel like you're still in school for a long, long time because it does, yeah. it, it feels a little bit like you're still in school and yeah. that can be overwhelming and boring for people, yeah. to be honest. I find it fascinating. <laughs> for some people, it can be, a, a, you know, a big shift. 
yeah. uh, from practicing, doing clinical practice to like reading and researching. It's kind of, it feels like a research kind of, kind of job. Um, so if you, if you see yourself doing that, then, you know, that's something that you could pursue. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think, you know, I think it's interesting, but even in my role now where I'm, I'm kind of out of the clinical setting, like it's kind of similar where I feel like I'm back in school only because I just feel like I'm learning so much, so, something new all the time and, you know, reading and researching something new all the time. And um, so I think it's a, uh, I think, you know, and they tell us in the beginning of pharmacy school, like, hey, you're going to be a lifelong learner. But I think that kind of gets forgotten when you get into some of these practices because everything is just kind of so you know, tradition, like, uh, or routine, I should say. Um, so I think that's interesting to hear. Now, um, in the space that you're in, what would you, what other roles are, are you seeing for pharmacists, whether it be like kind of within your company, within IBM as a whole, or just kind of the space in general, what other like opportunities are there for pharmacists to kind of also have like a, a role in this in, in similar years? Yeah, I actually think that this is a really unique opportunity um, for pharmacists. If you have any interest in tech at all um, and have any desire to get any education in tech, um, I think there's a, you know, there is a gap um, of, of a gap between tech and, clin- and clinicians where, you know, clinicians are not really up to date on some of the stuff going on. And I think if you can become an expert in it, that you're going to have a great opportunity for some really cool roles, whether it's with IBM Watson Health or other tech companies, um, because we are going to need people to explain how the new healthcare ecosystem is going to work because things are changing so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, subject matter expert is a great role, an educator, um, even doing some side roles if you're able to, um, doing education and just kind of learning as much as you can about what you know this new era of tech that we're coming into is going to look like. So those are the kind of roles that I'm seeing. Um, I do some some work in IBM also with uh, blockchain and healthcare use cases, but I've done a lot of education. Um, so a lot of extra work on top of what I'm already doing yeah. because I'm passionate about it. So if you have a passion for tech, you're going to find a lot of doors opening yeah. is kind of what I'm seeing. Um, so yeah, those are the other roles that I'm seeing if you want to combine tech and pharmacy. As far as just pharmacy, um, you know, I, I do think becoming an expert in outcomes research and statistics is going to become more and more important as we move to a value-based care system, because we are going to have to figure out how are we basing our, what are we basing our care on? Um, we need to become experts in evaluating studies as we get more and more, you know, basing our care on these things. Not that we're already not basing our care on evidence, evidence-based medicine, but I do think, you know, a lot of people don't have the time to read through these studies and see if the outcomes measured are appropriate or if the statistics were done properly. They just the abstract right doctors just read the abstract so um yeah i do see roles in in you know kind of literature evaluation specialties um subject matter experts um those types of roles you know one thing that just came to me too is to really think about with healthcare becoming more digital right like you know just whether it be monitoring you know uh measures and monitoring data whether it's your A1C or just your blood pressure, your heart rate, or just, you know, a patient kind of inputting information digitally. Mm-hmm. We're getting so much more data from people. And I feel like with the, in combination with machine learning and AI and just kind of being able to analyze all that data, I feel like, it, would you say it's a growing time also for pharmacists to be able to analyze all this stuff? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, data analysis, data scientists, those type of roles 
um, are going to be in huge demand, as well as learning about AI and, and, and cognitive capabilities, um, working with um, a little bit on that cognitive project. It's been very interesting um, as we move towards more of an AI-based healthcare system um, and data analysis. Because, yeah, like with wearables and all that information getting processed with big data analytics, that's coming for sure. Um, and we're going to, we can base a lot of our decisions on that as well, um, gathering all that data and analyzing it. It's, yeah. for, it's really exciting. So I think this is a good segue. So let's let's dive a little bit into uh, a blockchain and and kind of the you know what you it, blockchain is just such a you know huge buzzword now. You know right. the big three: blockchain, AI, machine learning. Like that's just a huge like you know all these buzzwords, whatever. But let's get practical and talk about like what is it exactly? Uh, I'm not you know I'm not a blockchain expert, and I don't think you know the majority of the listeners are. So can you break it down a little bit for us and like? maybe I guess explain what is blockchain exactly and like, how does it work? Yeah, I can, I can definitely try. Um, so most people think of blockchain in terms of Bitcoin. Um, it was kind of the backbone of Bitcoin, um, providing a ledger of transactions that, um, transparently record everything uh, when people purchase Bitcoin. But actually, it's a decentralized ledger of transactions recording everything of value. So it doesn't have to be like a financial transaction. It can really be anything of value. Um, so each transaction is verified with cryptography, which is a complex mathematical equation and sort of a riddle. Um, and it's put sequentially into these blocks. And so it's decentralized. So basically, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of parties who are verifying these transactions, and if one of the one of those parties gets kind of taken out, um, the other the other players can take over. And so there's no way really to take out the system. So it provides like a lot of security when you're talking about data that you don't want to get out. Um, systems that you know get hacked all the time. This is a system that can provide us with so much security and also transparency because you can take a look into one part of these blocks and see what's going on, but not know who the person is. So you can see all the data without knowing who's attached to it, which is very extremely valuable um, people call it yeah it's <laughs> for sure. people call it a digital living document of collective truth wow so I compare it. I compare it also with um, the internet in some ways because the internet is the internet of information, and this is the internet of transactions. And they can be any kind of transaction; it doesn't have to be financial. And I think that's where people get caught up in it. So it can be literally a medical record transaction, adding something to your medical record. Yeah. It can be, and yeah, and so then on, on on the extra layer on top of that comes in like tokenomics and tokenized health, which gets more into the cryptocurrency, which I think is the next kind of stage on top of where we're at now um, with blockchain. So I feel like everyone has like a story as to like how they got it. Cause the thing, the crazy thing about blockchain is like, and, and I know this from firsthand experience when you, when you kind of get into it, you don't just kind of like hear about it or whatever, like you get into it and like you kind of really just dive in. And I feel like everyone kind of has a story as to like how that happened. So how did you kind of get into blockchain? Okay. Um, so a few years ago, um, just my family was was investing in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, and they were like, "You should invest in it. You should you should check it out." And so I I just for fun, you know, it's kind of like gambling because you know you don't want to put anything into this that you don't want to lose because it's so volatile. I put some money into it, and then I started like, hmm, "How does this actually work?" And I started looking into how it worked and getting really passionate about 
you know, the capabilities beyond cryptocurrency. Um, and at that same time, a few years ago, our company got bought by IBM and I was able to really, you know, use their education resources because I'm an employee and they, they actually do have a lot of good resources out there for anyone. Uh, to, I just became incredibly passionate about it and interested in it and really just using every resource that I could to learn more about it. Um, and then I uh, actually became an advisor for one of the um, blockchain-based medical record companies. And then after that, I started just going to meetup groups. I started um, going to every conference that I possibly could around blockchain, healthcare, even cryptocurrency. I started speaking at conferences. I just, I'm very passionate about what it can do to put the power back in the hands of the patients and the providers for that matter and create a whole new healthcare ecosystem away from insurance companies and other centralized kind of entities. So I'm very, I'm very, very excited about it and I can't wait to see um, where it goes. Yeah, I think what's really scary and, and I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, its applications in healthcare, but I think what's really scary to think is the ecosystems that are going to be built around blockchain is really going to probably provide for an environment where insurance companies are not going to be needed, which is, you know, to me, it's like, psh, like mind blowing stuff. Like, I'm just like, I cannot believe that if this really hits scale, like this is what's going to happen. But let's talk a little bit about kind of the applications and like the more broad areas of kind of where you see blockchain having an impact on healthcare. Okay, so right now, I think I think there's really three stages of how it's going to go. Um, the first stage is kind of where we're at right now, where we're really using um, mostly private blockchains to share information among trusted third parties. So, for example, like provider credentialing, like a physician getting credentialed to go to work, instead of that physician taking 120 days and going through independent verifications with 50 different institutions, perhaps. With blockchain, they can get one verification and all those parties that are needing that verification can agree to it and see it transparently on the blockchain and that provider can have control over that as well on who, who sees it. And so that can reduce that time dramatically. So those are the sort of use cases that we're seeing right now. Another big one is, is supply chain and reducing fraud and counterfeit uh, counterfeit medications from getting into the system. This blockchain can track and transparently and show all the, from the products manufacturer, from the raw materials, all the way to the patient every step in the way. Um, so those are, those are the two like big ones that I'm seeing right now. There's, of course, a lot of other applications uh, that really right now can be applied to, to blockchain. In the future, I think things will get a little bit more interesting as far as bringing patients and providers together in an ecosystem where they can connect directly using tokenomics, um, using tokens to run that system and using that to pay the doctors and have those patients have control over their own medical records. So I think that's down the road quite a bit. Um, I'm not sure exactly when, but you know how healthcare is very resistant to change. So I'm seeing that it's pretty far down the road. And then after that, I'm seeing a lot of AI automation and um, big data analysis after we get that all hooked in. Um, so I'm seeing I'm seeing some of these really cool use cases now, but I'm I'm really excited for the future. Uh, but I do think it is going to be quite a quite a ways down the road, to be honest. So what is what is tokenomics? So I think that's like a, one of those things where you know when you're learning a topic, you have like a list of definitions of terms that you should know, and I feel like that's one that people not too familiar with blockchain should kind of be familiar with. So how can you explain a little bit uh, tokenomics? So 
I, you know, I'm not an expert in tokenomics either, <laughs> but I, um, I do, you know, it is, it is bringing cryptocurrency the, using a public blockchain, like um, your Ethereum based blockchain, usually in most cases, and kind of running that with tokens. So for example, like a patient can, can have, can get some tokens. And if they wanted to, let's see, with, let's say with telemedicine, they, they took a picture of a rash on their body and they wanted to get three different opinions from a doctor. They could use those tokens in the blockchain system and pay like a certain amount of tokens to get, um, you know, however many second opinions they wanted on the treatment for their rash. And then the doctors would get paid that way and the patients would get their information that they needed. So it really takes banks out of the system. It takes like any, it brings everything digital. So all the currency, that's what tokenomics is. It's a digital currency, right? And it's mm-hmm. running a whole economy based on that digital currency. But for healthcare, you know, that's really what's going to take out a lot of these middlemen and really bring the patients and providers together without having a lot of stuff in between. And that's really exciting. And I think it's hard for people to wrap their head around a value of a token and that's a whole other discussion <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. on what brings value to this what is this digital currency why is it valuable um that's a whole nother you know thing that i'm definitely not an expert in and yeah. i think that is more tokenomics uh when you talk about it that way um but then you have to ask yourself what brings value to this paper money ho- i'm holding in my hand also so it's you know it's interesting when you think about it that way you know people put so much value into into this paper money that we have now and really you know when you look at what's backing it up it might not be what you think um, so that's, you know, that's the way that I look at it when I think about tokens and cryptocurrency. I think this is getting off topic, but I think this was like blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. I think the biggest revelation in my mind was it really made people really try to understand what a currency is. And I think like, at least for a lot of the people that probably really started studying that kind of found that how... I don't want to go on the record as saying how worthless it is, but just how how the dollar is just backed by just more so confidence than anything with like the financial backing of like the economy. But I don't know. It's just it, it makes it so interesting to just kind of really think about what is a currency anyway and how people back in the day used to like used to trade, you know, rocks and rice and stuff. But now it's just a piece of paper. You know, and then exactly. now it's going digital. Um, and, and I think it's a really, really interesting shift um, in thinking that way. And I think with tokenomics, I think it becomes interesting. Like it's usually easy, I think, in tokenomics to, to understand that the, the coin or, you know, token or whatever it is, cryptocurrency flows um, from one way, like from one person to another. But then it's like looping it back all the way around is usually where. I think the experts need to come in and kind of figure out how is that, how is that going? I think that's where the the value gets created. Is it becoming like a full loop circle um, of, of a, like a of flow of that token, I should say. But. Right. And people utilizing it really. I mean, that's really what brings value. Um, people, people using it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing that's so cool about it, too, is, you know, providing data. So, for example, um, I don't, you know, I'll use 23andMe as an example, but you can get your, you know, your genetics done by 23andMe. But, you know, in the future, you'll get your genetics done by someone like 23andMe, and then you'll have control over it, and you'll actually be able to build a baseline income off of that information because it's so valuable. People don't realize how valuable our information is, whether it's genomic data or our Facebook posting or, um, you know, a variety of different things that we do. I mean, that information is just becoming more and more valuable um, as we uh, as we're able to mine that data. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm very excited about, especially in other countries where people don't necessarily have access to banks, um, being able to have a baseline income and, and feed your family off of your genetic data, for example. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how like, you know, think about like the underserved countries, how, you know, they just went the way the technology expanded so quickly. Some of these people came like from having almost no electricity to having like a computer in their pocket, you know, and then for them to be able to have immediate access basically to a bank you know, through, you know, some sort of cryptocurrency platform. I mean, it, it's so, yeah, like it's so interesting. Yeah. Just, just through your phone. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's all going to be based on our, our smartphones. Yeah. It's so crazy. So, but, it's um, very exciting stuff. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. I can't wait Yeah. Um, to see how it's, how it's going to improve lives and really reduce costs and improve outcomes Yeah. for patients. I mean, that's really what it comes down to in healthcare. So let's let's talk about something specific that you're doing, um, you know, because I know you're working on some sort of blockchain things um, with your current roles. So what is it that you're currently kind of working on now or, or what is it that maybe has the most attention um, from mm-hmm. you now in blockchain and healthcare? Yeah, I mean, without getting into too many specifics, um, I I provide a clinician's perspective. Um, I think what's missing a lot of times with these companies, um, these tech companies creating these awesome use cases, is you know you're not going to be able to implement these cases. You're not going to be able to implement these cases without the clinicians being on board, and that's kind of what's missing. And I think that's where people can really provide value as a pharmacist. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm saying, well, okay, if I was in practice, how what would this look like? Um, how would I utilize this? Would I want to do this? Would, would this take an extra step? Would it take less steps? How is this going to improve my day? So I'm really using my clinical expertise to look at these blockchain use cases and see if they could actually, if they provide value to from a clinician's perspective. Um, so that's what I do. And I also look in, I look into certain use cases such as provider credentialing or supply chain use cases and just just from the angle of the experience that I have. So I'm kind of just serving as a subject matter expert really um, on the cases. Yeah. Um, so we were, you know, we're, healthcare is kind of is definitely one of the last things to be implementing um, blockchain technology. I- inherently, it's a very resistant, uh, you know, industry to tech, and so it's, you know, it's it's a struggle working working in in, in that industry with with blockchain. But I think it is it's going to provide so much value in the long run. Um, but yeah, I mean, just yeah, we're definitely, you know moving forward on, on these awesome use cases and uh, reducing a lot of overhead uh, with, for example, insurance claims or prior authorizations. I mean, imagine if those were like immediate at the point of care and you didn't have to deal with any paperwork or anything afterwards. I mean, that's what we're, those are the kind of things that we can do right now that are just really exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the whole like PBMs and, um, or, or like what you just mentioned about like claims and stuff. So I had this one idea recently that, it would be so cool if um, when a when a doctor writes a prescription for a patient electronically that on the blockchain there can be already embedded alternatives, you know, to the therapy that can also be like somehow voted on or just like from another panel of like clinicians kind of put mm-hmm. in there, you know, what the best alternatives are kind of on a blockchain thing that's like kind of dynamic where once a once like the the doctor hits the button it's like can automatically algorithmically whatever like figure out what that best treatment's going to be for that patient based on their benefits now yeah and and yeah and also based on their genomics and all kinds of things exactly. and actually to be to be honest with you um you can actually do that without 
you know, you can do that without a blockchain yeah. at this point, and and people are doing that now. And I think it is a, it is quite the buzzword not to not to get away from it, but it it is quite the buzzword. And I think that that you know you really have to think, well, can I do this without that solution? And I think um, in some cases you can. And I think adding a blockchain on later to some of these some of these platforms, some of these APIs will be extremely valuable. But as far as things that it can be implemented right now, I think it's 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 a, it's a good question to ask. Like, do I need this? Yeah. Or is it just or is it just cool? You know. Well, sure. Well, the thing is, the reason why I bring it up is because like. I was thinking about it and this is just, this is just, I want to show people how kind of just kind of back, um, kind of going off of what you mentioned, how it's a big buzzword, but a lot of times it's not needed. So SureScripts, um, you know, like one of the leaders in electronic prescribing is our, is actually going to, has like plans to do that in the next couple of years where without, not on the blockchain though, they, they're not, uh, well, to my knowledge, they're not using, I'm pretty sure they're not using blockchain to do this because they didn't mention that in their presentation when I heard them speak about it. But they're literally going to be doing this where they're going to be coordinating the benefits um, of uh, basically they're going to have access to the benefits, uh, the insurance plans of that patient. And when it's prescribed, the patient's going to be able to see exactly what the cost is for the medication at the doctor's office. And it'll also have the alternatives that are that are on the plan. And if it's requiring like a PA, but it, but right. It's, yeah. I, yeah. I do believe that I, yeah, I believe that Watson, um, AI with Watson and Watson health is also, um, working on a use case for that. Yeah. It's so, um, so awesome. Yeah. I think artificial intelligence can come into that a lot too. Um, cause you can have, you know, you can have a bot, um, on your computer kind of looking up all that information real quick while, you know, at the point of care, which is so cool. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely something that is so valuable yeah. and is, is going to become, part of the mainstream workflow at the point of care, which is so, it's going to save so much time and there won't be all these surprises for patients at the end that we see so much working in pharmacy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that'll reduce some frustration for pharmacists. So what else, I mean, is there anything specific that maybe you can talk about that is, or, or maybe even broad that like is that you're seeing that's going to come out of IBM or, you know, I guess something that's public info that maybe most people might not know about in terms of, um, you know, what IBM is working on in terms of like pharmacy and blockchain and healthcare. Um, well, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of emphasis on Watson and, and AI right now. Um, you know, there's the Ask Watson feature of Micromedics, which just came out last Wednesday. Uh, it's super interesting and, and Watson can actually learn, you know, there's cognitive learning in there, learn what questions you ask and, um, learn what learn to anticipate the next question, which I think is really interesting. Um, so that's like been one of our first, you know, cognitive app, the first cognitive application. Can, can you um, explain a little bit about what it is exactly? Cause I'm not sure if everyone really knows exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, so I, I know a lot of people are familiar with Micromedics, the drug information database where you have to open a platform and you have to type in your question or type in the drug and then you have to sit there and, you know, sift through all this information, trying to find your answer. We do provide a lot of information or one of the, that's what we're known for um, is a lot of depth. We dive in pretty deep in, in drug information. So Ask Watson's a feature where you can um, you can type in your question, your exact question into the computer, and eventually you'll be able to just speak it, like voice recognition. Um, I think I don't I think that's actually happening as well. Um, but you can type it in, Ask Watson, um, and then the com- it, it'll mine the data. It'll go through and like find the answer to your question um, and, and tell you on the screen. And then it'll ask you for follow-up questions. Oh, well, did you mean this? And did you mean that? And it's, it's learning, you know, what you're asking and it's yeah. learning the system. And so yeah, it's a cognitive application. Um, it's really, really cool. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in a drug information database out there. It's so, going to be um, 
The future yeah. is going to be so crazy. And, and when I say the future, it's like in like three years. <laughs> like, yeah, this stuff is definitely <laughs> happening now. Yeah. So I, I love, I love talking about things that are actually being implemented. Um, because you know, you can see results and you can really see how things work Yeah. Exactly. instead of it kind of being like a dream down the road. Nice. What else? Anything else that's super interesting? Um, well, we're definitely big in the blockchain, um, arena and coming out with some really cool use cases, uh, for blockchain technology. Um, a lot of them are focused around supply chain and also cold chain, like measuring the temperature of, um, let's say a biologic and making sure that it gets to its destination without getting below, um, the temperature that it should be at. And, you know, immediately, um, the interested parties that need to know would be notified when that product, you know, got even slightly below like the acceptable temperature. So that's been really cool, um, way to track things. And also, you know, kind of inventory management in a pharmacy as well, like using blockchain to sort of uh, keep track of inventory, you know, how hard that can be as a pharmacist, like, especially with drug shortages, like not knowing like, oh, you know, how much medication do I need to order or when am I going to be short on a medication? I mean, there's just, there's a lot of use cases I feel like I could go on forever. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're definitely at the forefront of all of the big uh, blockchain applications um, worldwide and internationally. How much can you... Tell us about, you know, a lot of people that are listening have probably have experience in an actual pharmacy man managing inventory. How is it that blockchain helps with inventory management? So it's a way to, instead of like, um, you know, it's a way to keep track of all the lot numbers and expiration dates without having to go through and like know when something's going to expire. It would like automatic, and you know, those systems that they use in retail pharmacies are supposed to be accurate. Like they kind of know the order and they know, they know when you're supposed to order new things, but upon talking to people about these systems, they are not accurate at all. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they, they just come constantly fail. So blockchain is a way to just transparently keep track of all that. And every party in the system could see that. So like the, let's say you're ordering from like Cardinal or some big company, Company, you know, they could see on your end exactly what you have on the shelf, pretty much, um, and know, and you, without you even telling it, like it trigger trigger orders. And I know that's already kind of happening, but this is a much more accurate way of doing it. So I think the accuracy of having that and the transparency of everyone seeing that system um, is kind of what it brings to the table. Gotcha. So, man. So much, so much good stuff in, in this episode. And I'm hoping listeners are really getting some good value out of this. But um, I want to kind of wrap up here and kind of ask um, maybe like your advice for, you know, pharmacists that I, I think currently practicing, I think, is the, would be the biggest challenge. If a pharmacist is currently practicing now and, you know, they don't, you know, they obviously they didn't go through the fellowship that you're saying that you probably have to now. What would be the path to someone like out? of school now to try to get to something like there. I know it would take time and I know it's not something that could happen easily, but if you were in the situation, knowing what you know, if you're in the situation where you're a pharmacist and you're practicing and you want a career change, but you didn't do a fellowship in that industry, what is the path for you to try to get there? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, at the last conference I was speaking at, I talked to some of the students from Lipscomb University over in Nashville. They asked me the same question. Um, so I really think that especially now is the time where you don't really even need, I mean, if I were graduating and I wanted to do what I'm doing now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily even go out and do extra education in pharmacy unless I was really passionate about a specialty. Um, if I wanted to get into what I was doing now, I would, I would educate myself in technology. I would either take like some kind of boot camp class or, 
Um, use some of the tools that are out there now provided by IBM or the Linux Foundation. It has a great blockchain course. It's free. It's 20 hours. Um, I would do things like that. I mean, but only if you're passionate about it. I mean, if you're passionate about this kind of stuff and where we're going, then nothing's going to stop you. I mean, for me, I had to send 15 to 20 emails before I got an answer to work on this technology for IBM. Like, I had to step out of my current role. You know, I mean, I'm still working in my current role, but I had to kind of really pursue this um, until without taking no for an answer. Yeah. And so you really, you really just have to be, you really just have to knock down some doors and get yourself educated and really, you know, in that space. And I think if you could get yourself educated and you're passionate about it, there's really no stopping you. Um, because this industry needs, needs people in AI, needs people in blockchain, um, data analytics, data scientists, all these things are just so needed and, and coming from a clinician's perspective as well. I also think that there's some value in practicing, you know, before you start to get into this arena. Um, I think it could go either way. Um, but I do think that, you know, practicing, doing some level of practice is good as well. So, you know, getting like a year of residency is, is always valuable. Um, but yeah, I would, if I was just graduating, I would just, you know, continue to educate myself. I might even like take a coding class, um, you know, take a cryptography class, take a blockchain, you know, education class and really talk to all the industry leaders out there right now and some of the small companies. Um, there's some great companies in Nashville doing some amazing things like Hashed Health. Um, there's companies in Denver, Burst IQ, just doing some incredible things with data, with healthcare. So, I mean, I would connect with those industry leaders, talk to people, network, um, see what see what see what their advice is. There's actually other clinicians involved in this, um, and if you're if anyone's interested, I can definitely try to connect you with those people. Yeah, that man, that is some awesome advice. And you know what I think was important too that you said that there's there's free resources. Like you don't need to go. And, you know, get, you know, a, a master's degree in, in blockchain or technology or anything and spend, you know, thousands of dollars. You can you can get you can get this information for free from, you know, really reputable resources. So um, mm -hmm. yeah. I'll try to include some. Go ahead. Yeah, Coursera actually also has a Bitcoin cryptography course that dives in really, really deep. But it's through Princeton University and it's free. Um, that's another one that, that I took that was really good. Yeah. So yeah, Linux Foundation has a brand new one that just came out. Um, it was done by Blockchain Training Institute. It's it's a fabulous course. It's free. So um, yeah, definitely provide people with those that information. Well, I'm gonna try to include. You gave us a lot of information that I'm gonna try to include in our uh, uh, um, in our show notes here, so you know people can kind of find it easily. Um, but, uh, Erica, thank you so much for being on. Can you first, um, before I let you go, just kind of tell everyone where they can best reach you and connect if they want to kind of continue the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, it's Erica Bierbauer. It's B-E-E-R-B-O-W-E-R. Um, and feel free to connect with me and I'll help you in any way I can. I've had other students, uh, many other students connecting with me lately. So, um, I can definitely link up with you and give you, help you in any way I can. And pharmacists. Pharmacists can also reach out and connect with you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're all learning, right? Exactly. We're all out there. So. Students of life. Anyway, Erica, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to speak more about this and to just get the word out to, to other clinicians. It's, it's, it's wonderful.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed what you just listened to. Make sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms and however you're listening, whether it be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or something else we didn't just mention, we'd appreciate you to subscribe, leave us a rating, and even drop us a comment and let us know what you think. And until next time, see you over the counter.